Hey, everybody. Welcome to Basement Sports Podcast. <laughs> Duty, are you there? Yeah, what's up, bitches? Hey, we got, look, we got a treat today. And I mean an absolute treat. That so, remains to be seen. Yeah, but I talked to you earlier this week, and I was like, okay, when are we going to podcast? And your bitch is like, what are we going to talk about? What the, what's out there? I was like, you know what? Let's do a roundtable. Let's get our boys here. We wanted to get everybody together. We wanted to do this before this damn coronavirus crap and, like, get in a bar and sit around a table and have a few pops and talk sports, but we're going to do it virtually. We have the pops. We're in our own rooms. Here we go. First and foremost, Mr. Wayne Wagoner. He's been on the podcast yes, before. Sir. Our Penn State expert, Wayne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. And first time on the podcast, it is my pleasure to introduce <coughs> Mr. Scott Startari. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Uh, Greg, I'm doing great, man. Glad to be here. It's an honor to be here. I mean, I've listened to... Uh, your podcast in the past and, and uh, chock full of information. The fact that I get to be on with my friend, Wayne Wagner, who I consider a Pittsburgh sports expert is uh, just an honor to me. So I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you brought that up because Wayne's not only Penn state, but he's remembered some sports and been to some events and has got some stories that like, I can't wait for him to share some of these on this podcast and other podcasts because they're just fantastic. And uh, Wayne still, holds the record of the most listeners we've ever had when he did his Penn State football year in review and look forward. So just to say that. So Wayne Wagoner's name has a lot of pull out there. And Bullshit. I, it was because it was Penn State. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about that bit. <laughs> Wait till I tell you about my experiences at the World Series with the Black Sox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, was that back when you started selling aspirin? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that shoeless Joe autographs worth some money now. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, uh, we're gonna get things rolling uh, here tonight. We wanna let's get into the Steeler draft a little bit, guys. Um, <laughs> Duty and I did a podcast last week, and, and Duty was Duty's like the biggest draft nerd that I know. So he was uh, grading teams' drafts. We got to talk about the Steelers a little bit, talk about his cry boys. I mean, Cowboys a little bit, uh, getting into you know getting into the draft. But let's let's focus on the Steelers a bit. Um, you know, Scott, I'm going to start with you. Overall thoughts on the Steelers draft. You know, if you want to view it with Minka Fitzpatrick being our first round pick, and then going from there. So, what were your overall thoughts on uh, on the Steelers draft? Uh, thanks, Greg. I, I think that is the way we have to view it, right? I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick is our first-round draft pick, and I think he showed last year why he deserved to be that pick. I think if we frame it up like that and we then add Chase Claypool in the second round with the size and the speed, the Highsmith pick I'm still kind of, you know, evaluating a little bit. But the McFarland pick in round four, I, I, I thought with his speed and those types of things can really help. Here's, here's the deal. My question is not if Claypool can play a big role for the Steelers. I think you put him in the slot, and I think he's a nightmare matchup. You bring the safety down, you bring the linebacker over. I think that helps the running game. And I know there are a lot of folks that were disappointed because J.K. Dobbins was sitting right in front of them. I would submit to you that Claypool in the, in the slot can open up the running game for the running backs that they have. So my question is, can Randy Finkner – utilize him correctly and be creative enough to use him as a dangerous weapon in the run game and the pass game. But overall, I like the draft. Is that more of a, is that a thought process you feel like Matt Canada coming in? Like, you know, we had, we had Chris Carter from Carter critiques and, and uh, DK Pittsburgh sports on, and he was thinking that, you know, all he wasn't thinking Matt Canada in his first year here was going to be, that involved in the planning of the offense. Now that was pre-draft looking at who they drafted. I'm beginning to wonder, what do you think? Uh, I agree with that. And I, and I think the McFarland in the fourth round, you know, once he gets over that, the ability to, to pick up blitzes and things like that on third down is a heck of a weapon coming out of the backfield. I'm not so sure Finkner alone can be creative enough to scheme to get him into space. Because if you look at his highlights on YouTube over Maryland, the last couple of years, I mean, 
the guy gets in space, he's gone. With Canada coming in, I believe he can do that more effectively than Finkner. Wayne, what are your thoughts on the draft overall? My thoughts are to be determined. <laughs> um, I, I would go along with Fitzpatrick. That was a home run. Um, as far as Claypool and, and the high – is it high power? High, high Smith. Smith. High Smith. High Smith. Um, I think they're both to be determined. Um, and a lot of what um, Claypool does is going to depend on Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, that's the biggest question mark going in. No one really knows how he's going to respond to that surgery at his age. Um, we certainly know what happens in the NFL if you don't have a top-rated quarterback. And to be determined fits with McFarland, too. I mean, he had a phenomenal game against Ohio State. The potential's there. But the word is he's extremely immature. And I think after Antonio Brown and some of the other characters that we've dealt with i don't know if that's what you want to bring into your locker room so i i would give it a, to be determined the only thing on mcfarland i would push back a little bit on that on there were some stories that came out later that that came from an anonymous scout and it was it was it was blown up you know now look and then on the other side canada probably recommended him because canada recruited him and also Tomlin's kid plays on Maryland. So wouldn't you think they'd have, you know, if they thought that he was going to be a locker room problem, they just shied away from him because of those two resources. I, I don't know, Greg, he was very inconsistent in Maryland. Yeah. I mean, people remember that big game he had against Ohio state, but if you look at his time in Maryland, he was very inconsistent. We'll see. I mean, yeah, he's going to be a, he's going to be a home run hitter where he's going to take a couple screen passes or a swing pass. And he's going to go the distance. But if you want him to come in there and be your number one running back and split carries with Connor, I don't see it. They reached for him in the fourth round. I agree with Claypool. He was a second rounder. And I think one thing we're forgetting about Claypool is, is the red zone. That guy's a freak. He'll go get it. Um, And the other thing about Claypool I love is he will run block. Loves to run block. He'll knock you on your ass. Mm -hmm. I hated Highsmith. I thought he was way picked way too early. Again, I think they reach for McFarlane. I love Dotson. He, that, that lineman from Lafayette is a beast. And as a run blocker, I think he needs to get better as a pass protector. Um, and at Carlos Davis in a seventh, I don't think he's going to make the team. And the safety out of Maryland they picked up in the sixth is kind of a tweener. He's like a linebacker safety, and Pittsburgh likes those kind of guys. So, yep, Scott, you, I don't know. Yep. I, everybody hated it, including mm-hmm. Greg. He was putting all sorts of bad shit on Twitter, crying in his cereal. I've watched some tape and I'll comment on that. Scott, you wanted wanted to say something. Yeah, just a couple of points. I mean, they're they're all valid points. I I think one thing we haven't discussed is special teams. Um, And I think the fact that this this kid from Maryland, the safety from Maryland, is a thumper. You know, he's a 4 6 guy, so he's not going to light anybody up in the secondary as as it relates to to coverage. But he's a great special teams player, and I think that's going to help somewhat, too. Uh, I had the opportunity to see Reggie Bush uh, weigh in on McFarland, and he really thinks he's got the necessary speed and elusiveness to be like Duty said. He's going to be a situational player. He's not going to carry the ball more than five, six times a game. You give him the ball out of the backfield three, four times, he can make some differences. I don't think he's a number one back by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if you, he can block a little bit, pick up the blitz, you can play him on third down. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's going to be their third down back, and he's going to take a few swing passes to the house. One of the things that I, uh, I, I got, I had a chance to go online today. They posted some, um, some tape of Chase Claypool at the Senior Bowl during practice, and that's a big deal for anybody who doesn't know. Like a Senior Bowl, practices are pretty intense because all the pro scouts are there, pro coaches are there. They want to impress, and I'll tell you what. Chase Claypool impressed in those practices, playing up against high-ranking cornerbacks. You know, one of the knocks on him, like, well, he doesn't get a lot of separation. When these Senior Bowl practices and in the Senior Bowl, he got separation. He did. So I don't know if he, he, he kicked it up a notch. I don't know if he went to the Senior Bowl, and these are a lot of pro coaches are there, got some coaching, did some tweaks. Like, you got to do this, you got to do that. One of the things they talk about is his route running. That's something that can be coached. Okay, 
Antonio Brown, for as great as he was, was a horrible route runner. Terrible route runner. But Ben figured out how to work with him. But his route running and Ben's criticism of that is what kind of ran him out of town. I don't know. Clayton uh, had a pretty good coach at Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, and I agree on the Dotson pick. I watched some tapes of this kid, especially playing against Alabama, and he's a road grader. I mean, he was blowing uh, defensive linemen for Alabama off the line. And if they want to run the football, you know, that's going to be that's going to be important. Wayne, did you have a did you have an additional thing you wanted to add? You just gave me an idea. I wonder okay. if they could. Uh put Dotson in the backfield as a lead blocker in short yards situations. You see a lot more of that going on now, at least in college football. Yeah. They take an offensive guard, put him in there in short yardage. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, they say his knock is, his, is pass blocking. But the other thing I like about um, um, Claypool is he supposedly is a great attitude person, a hard worker. They need more of that. They need to get back to the old draft people with high character in my opinion there's just too much thuggery in the nfl and it can create cancers in the locker room again one of my criticism mcfarland maybe it's not a fair assessment of him but i'd be very very weary after they saw what Le'Veon bell and uh, antonio brown did to that team team chemistry isn't that another reason why they might have reached a little bit for highsmith i mean here's a kid walk on not a lot of offers Walked on to Charlotte, you know, but played really, really well. Now, you could say, well, it's Charlotte. You look at his tape against Clemson, and you look at his tape against some other, you know, other big schools, he played really well. Dabo Swinney made a point in his post-game press conference to call him out and say, look, my offensive lineman just told me he was the, he was the toughest they ever played against. And, you know, that's not something Swinney would normally do. So, you know, maybe this kid's just got some intangibles coming in because I think the Steelers are 50-50 on whether they're going to be able to sign Bud Dupree long-term. And, you know, I, I, still, I still have questions over, you know, Dupree emerges in his contract year. You know, where was he before that? He was, you know, he was kind of invisible. Well, look, this Highsmith kid, you don't you don't draft backups in the third round. You don't draft for depth in the third round. That kid's not going to start. And if you're on the third round pick and this kid has a fifth round grade, you don't need to go up and get a backup in the third round. In the third round, you should get a starter or at least somebody competing to be a starter. Got it. Well, well, it's a reach. Yeah, it's a reach. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. It goes back to how everything has evolved now where people are being scouted when they're freshmen in high school and given this star status. And it doesn't allow for kids that develop later. You look up and down NFL rosters, people that were not very highly touted coming out of high school when this whole process starts that happen to develop a little later. Hopefully he does, but I agree with duty. That's quite a reach for the third round. Hopefully it'll it'll work out. Yep. We'll see. You know, and the last thing I want to say about this Claypool that a lot of people didn't like, he had a second-round grade on him, and they picked him in a second. Uh, remember, if any team in the NFL gets a pass on picking wide receivers, it's Pittsburgh. Oh. They, every one they pick ends up being good. Go ahead, Scott. No, I think, I think it's well said. And, and to your point, Duty, to your mm-hmm. point, it was such a deep receiver draft, right? Yep. I mean, you had eight or nine guys that really could have maybe seven or eight guys that really were warranted going in the first round. So the fact that they, you know, they didn't have a first round pick, but were able to secure a talent like him at 49. Yeah. Uh, with that size and speed combination, I think, you know, that, that he almost was the first rounder. He wasn't, but he was right there. He's a yeah, freakish you know, athlete. Freakish athlete. All those good, all those, uh, all even the top wide receivers fell. So that's the only thing I could say is with all these guys falling and the fact that you said there were seven, eight guys right there in the same area, that's another reason I would have taken Dobbins with that pick. And 
to rub it in even more, he went to Baltimore. That's going to kill them. Unless unless Dobbins is a bust, and I've been on this podcast, and you can ask Greg, I think Dobbins is better than Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. And if they if he turns out to be Ezekiel Elliott or even around that area and Pittsburgh passed on him when he went to Baltimore, I think they could have got a receiver in round three instead of reaching for that kid. But anyway, we can't do yeah. anything about it now. Let's see who's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I made the same point last week that, you know, there were some arguments out there and I can see it where the Steelers felt that they get a strong receiver that can open things up and keep a defense more honest. That's going to improve the running game. They like James Conner. I like James Conner. I'm biased. He's a pit guy. You know, I root for him because of his story. He's a tough kid, but he's had trouble staying healthy. But when he's been healthy and the offensive line has played well, he's he's had some really, really impressive games. It looks like the Steelers are moving toward almost like a running back by committee. You know, they've got a whole group of running backs that can come in and contribute you know, let's see what let's see what happens. Go ahead, Duty. You wanted to say something. Well, I, yeah, just remember this: Steelers are not going to be running the ball like they did last year if Ben's playing quarterback. They ran the ball a ton last year because they didn't have a quarterback. They they were trying to keep the rush off of this kid from making making mistakes. If Ben's back there, Ben's calling audibles. Hell, he might even be calling half the plays. But they're going to throw the ball, and I think that's going to help Connor stay healthy. He's only going to run the ball maybe. He's going to have 10, 12 carries going into the fourth quarter because Ben's going to sling it if he's healthy. And I think that's what they're thinking. I think Connor's going to be fine. Well, we're talking about quarterbacks. So, Wayne, I'm going to go to you with our, our next question. So there's been a lot of bitching on local sports radio and uh, some other writers that the Steelers <laughs> needed to sign at least a veteran quarterback, needed to draft a quarterback. And, and now, you know, well – Jameis Winston signs with um, with the Saints. Andy Dalton has gone to the Cowboys. Do you think the Steelers should have signed or still should sign a veteran quarterback, or do you think that you would be willing to give Mason Rudolph more time? I don't know. I From what I saw last year, I was disappointed in Mason Rudolph. I thought he would be a lot better. I, thought he, I think he holds the ball too long. He doesn't have have a pocket presence he's got a lot stronger arm than the duck but the ducks seem to have more of a pocket presence i'm not high on rudolph but they see him in practice every day greg to your point as far as um the senior bowl practices we don't get to see that um based on what i saw last year yeah i think they need to get a backup because in the nfl if you don't have a quarterback you're going nowhere um i don't care what the rest of your team looks like so um, I, I would agree, and I, I'm not very high on Rudolph. I hope I'm wrong. Okay. They seem in practice. They seem to be higher on him than I am. Scott, you're shaking your head a little bit. No, I'm, I'm in agreement with Wayne, and I, and, and I think that, that, that Mason Rudolph has got a pretty good arm, decent. He doesn't read coverages. Now, is he going to grow into that in the next year? Potentially. He reminds me of a few of these SEC quarterbacks out of Florida way back in the day that when people were running wide open, the window is big. Yeah. And in the NFL, the window is not that big. So you have to be able to, to, to throw to people open. You have to throw somebody open. You can't see them, see they're open, and then make the throw. And I'm not sure that Rudolph can do that. He's just a little... He's a quarterback that can hit a wide-open guy, but we know how many people are wide open in the National Football League. Not many. I don't know the cap ramifications of bringing a Dalton in. or bringing, I don't know that. But I will tell you, if Ben goes down, they're an 8-8 eight and eight to 7-9 to nine team. It's that simple. Yep. And to Scott's yep. point, as far as um, reading defenses, let's not forget that Rudolph played in the Big 12 where everybody's running open. I mean, if you look at the stats and the numbers um, and you look at all these quarterbacks from Oklahoma over the years, just the numbers are through the roof in that division, and they're not getting the same kind of defensive looks even at the college level. So um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not impressed with Rudolph. I thought 
his numbers coming out of college made him, you know, maybe a, a pretty good pick. But after watching him in the NFL, I think he's got a long way to go. Yeah. Do, do the Steelers need to go out and sign Cam Newton? I don't know if they need to sign Cam Newton. Remember, there's going to be a lot of people cut between now and when they need to sign somebody. So uh, Andy Dalton only cost Dallas $3 million on the cap. And with Dallas's draft, I can let you know one thing. Jason Garrett has left the building. He held that team back, and it's Jerry Jones's fault. They had the best draft in 10 years, and it's all because he was nowhere around the facility. Um, new coach comes in and knows what he's doing. He immediately signs some big defensive tackles, which was not Garrett's philosophy. And I think Pittsburgh will – I'm don't. i not a Cam Newton fan only because his, his completion percentage is below 60. He had one good year. I think you're going to see some backup quarterbacks hit the waiver wire because some of these kids they drafted are going to take roster spots. And I think Pittsburgh will, before the season starts, have a back, have a, a guy that's been in the NFL for three or four years, even if he's only been a backup, once the cuts start. Go ahead, Scott. <clears throat> you know, I, I think that the duty's spot on. I think he made a really good point earlier. Picture this for a second, man. If you're if you're Harbaugh down in Baltimore, right? And I know this Lacoste guy is replaced Ozzie Newsome down there, and you're sitting there, and J.K. Dobbins is right in front of you, right there, and you got a wet. Can you imagine how happy they were to see him come in at that point in time? If you look at Baltimore's draft, they absolutely lit it up. They lit it up, and you took it, the kid linebacker from LSU. They got. They got the big D tackle from Texas A&M. They got the speedy kid from Westford from Texas, that DeBernie kid. And they got Malik Harrison in the sixth round or fifth round or yeah, something like that. It's crazy. Oh, and they uh, also Austin got Newsom the kid. They got the kid from SMU. They got that receiver from SMU. Right? Yeah. And they got the kid pro yeah, from SMU. Ozzie Newsom started that. Now this Lacoste guy comes in and just takes the baton from him. And you got Harbaugh, who as much as Pittsburgh people despise him, he is a tremendous football coach. And they didn't miss a beat. They they have to be the co-favorites in the AFC in 2020. Nobody's talking about the kid. What about this kid, DeVernay, the receiver out of Texas? Did you ever watch his tape? This kid can fly, and he catches everything. And until about the fifth, sixth round, they didn't move to get any of them. They let him come to them. How the how in the hell does Patrick Queen make it to them at pick twenty eight? Is, is, no idea. Is, then they get Dobbins, Matabuke, Duvernay, Harrison, and then they get Ben Bredesen, a, a lineman out of Michigan. He falls to him. Crochet, and then don't forget Geno Stone, that safety out of Iowa. Iowa was pretty good last year on defense, and he led the entire defense on safety. Go ahead, Scott. And Newcastle. And, and oh by and oh by the way, oh by the way. They picked up Calais Campbell uh, as an right. edge rusher in free agency in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. yeah they um, actually traded him. I'm sorry. Thank you. They tra- they're loaded. They're loaded, oh. and they will be for a five year window. Go ahead, Wayne. Well, they seem to be they seem to be very a very innovative organization, even beyond this year's draft. The commitment they made um, to their quarterback, be- you know, long before anybody else thought that was the right move when they let. Flacco fly. They're they're willing to take risks in Baltimore, and that's what set them apart. They're at a different level right now in that division, yep. by far. So is is right. is Paxson Lynch anywhere in this conversation? Are they willing to see maybe he was just in a bad play? I mean, he was a first round pick, you know, and they pick him up for nothing. No. Like, is no. he just is he garbage? Is he just like a throwaway no. backup backup? backup? All right. He's a backup. But is he a better backup than Mason Rudolph? Yes. Okay. Uh, here's my question, and I'm going to die. I, I, I forgot to do this, Greg. I want to throw this to uh, Scott and Wayne. Dallas's last pick in the seventh round was a quarterback named Ben DiNucci. I know you guys both name, know him out of James Madison. Mm-hmm. He was a pit transfer. Mm-hmm. What either one of you guys or both of you can give me your opinion on what do you like about this kid? Scott, I'll start with you. Well, you know, I, I, I know a couple of people because he's a Pine Richland grad. And I know a couple of people that watch him play. He is a tough, confident kid. 
And I saw the I saw online the draft day when he called when Jerry Jones called Ben and and told him he was going to be drafted. They said they just couldn't take the chance that he would be drafted, and they didn't want to wait for a priority free agent. So I went online, Judy. I went online and I went to YouTube and I and I looked at Danucci's tape down at Marshall, and um, the kid can sling it. He's only about six two, maybe two hundred ten pounds, something like that. He plays with an attitude, man. He reminds you of Tony Romo a little bit in that he's not yeah, he, afraid to fail. So quick he release. Him in the seventh round. Very good quick release. Wayne, what do you think about him? I like him. I, the knock on him, even coming out of high school, is if you look at his throwing motion, he throws almost a three quarters. He doesn't get the ball up over the top, and they thought that would hinder him. But, you know, he's produced. Um, he didn't have a whole lot to work with the year he was at Pitt. And I think that hurt him. I mean, if he would have been there a year earlier, I think he would have saw a whole different um, Ben DiNucci. But yeah. hey, you know, he's, they picked him late in the late in the draft, and it was probably a, a valid gamble. I watched him. Yeah, you have I, nothing to lose. I watched yeah. him for James Madison play in the championship game in their championship game last year. He played his heart out. I mean, he just like he was you know playing against a stacked deck in that championship game they were underdogs significant underdogs in that game but they came damn close and it was mostly because of ben denucci like he just had this never say die attitude and was just getting the living crap beat out of him in that game but he kept on slinging it so you know, well, you he's, know he's got that attitude and he he played a hell of a football game i went back and watched tape too just because i'm a cowboy fan in I love how quick his release is. I don't think he's a real great athlete when it comes to evading the rush or anything, but he gets rid of the ball quick and he does throw people open. He does not, you don't have to be open. My concern though is they just signed Dalton as their backup. They're not going to keep three quarterbacks on the opening day roster. He's going to go on the practice squad. And I think he's going to get picked off. Um, and I know nobody cares about that because he's, he's a no name right now, but I'd love to see him develop in a system for a year or two and then come out and throw it around. Well, is he the guy you think the Steelers are going to get when the waivers hit? Duty? <laughs> you had mentioned that. Maybe well, that'll be all right. At least I can still see him throw it around. <laughs> there you go. Hey, um, we talked about Dalton to the Cowboys. Uh, AB posted something on Instagram with him in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. <laughs> Is so I think this is the bigger question. Is and I'll start with Wayne. It, have we seen the last snap from Antonio Brown in in the NFL, or is he going to come? Is he going to show up somewhere? Not maybe not this year, but at some point. I pass on AB. I'm not even giving him my time. <laughs> okay, Scott Startari, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, irrelevant. Uh, AB is irrelevant. You know, part of me will never forget um, the plays he made as a Pittsburgh Steeler. One that comes to mind where the fourth down Christmas play where he reaches the ball over the goal line mm -hmm. to secure a playoff spot. So I, I won't forget that, that how hard he worked for this team. He unfortunately lost it, okay? I don't know if it's concussion-related. I don't know if it's his behavior and personality he no. lost it so the it's answer money question, going to no. a child never had a problem he, he is not going to play in the national football league again because look at the season the way it is now he's got a suspension to deal with as soon as any team picks him up it could be a year it could be nine months something like that could be 34 years of age unless he plays for the bare minimum he is not playing in the national football league again duty you agree um, uh, I think he is going to play again, and I'll tell you why. I think what Scott just said at the end of his sentence there, he's going to play for the league minimum just to get back in the league. But the caveat being, we don't know. I don't think they can announce he's suspended until he actually signs a deal right, right. with someone. And then they can say, well, he's on the commissioner exemptions list for A, beating up the moving van guy, uh, B, the sexual assault allegations. Maybe C, throwing furniture off a balcony that was settled. Roger Goodell, excuse me, I like to call him Roger, eat a dick, Goodell. 
still <laughs> has never done anything uh, proactive in his entire life. He's always reactive. So we don't know what's going to happen there. But I think that guy is so good, even at the age of 35, that if he's suspended for six games, six months, a year, somebody the following year is going to get him on a rookie deal and he's going to be back in the NFL. You would think it would be the Raiders, but they've already had him. So, yeah. You know, that, that exactly. the general manager a cracker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's looking, he is looking at a lengthy suspension. Well, I mean, I, you would assume just based on everything yeah. that they're looking at, but go ahead, Scott. Duty has a valid point about him signing for the league minimum after the suspension. I would submit to you that there is Roger Goodell going to make it so difficult for him to get back in this league. I just can't see it happen. They don't want any part of this guy who, who has, who has apparently lost it emotionally. So anything is possible, but I'll stick to it that he doesn't get back. I'm going to add an additional question to this. Uh, right now, if AB does not play another down in the NFL, starting with Wayne, is he a Hall of Famer? Well, that's a tough one. I would say based on his on-field performance, but the way the writers are getting more or scrutinizing behavior, um, that's going to be a tough one. Okay. I don't. If he does, it's going to be a while mm-hmm. until people forget some of his behavior down the road and then just look at those statistics because people have a tendency over time to forgive. But if he does, it's not going to be for a while. Scott Startari. I'll say yes. Um, because, you know, Wayne, Wayne makes a good point. I will say yes, he will get in. And the, the reason I would say yes is because of Terrell Davis. Now, Terrell Davis was a stand-up guy, no question about that. However, I think he played seven years in the league. So he didn't have to have 10, 12 years to get in anymore. He had seven. He got in. I say A.B. goes in, but to Wayne's point, it'll be a long time. Duty. Is P. Rose in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame? He leads and he's hits leader. No, he's not. This guy's a jerk. He didn't play long enough. Um, he's not getting in. I, I think there's going to be now the football Hall of Fame is not nearly as petty as the Veterans Committee or the vet, baseball is. But no, this this guy had the world by the ass. He burned his bridges. He's not getting in. I say yes, but after a, a, a number of years, I say he's going to be like a, maybe if the league decides to do like what they did this past year and have some legacy guys come in, like we got Don, like the Steelers got Donnie Shell in, might be something like that. But I, I think I agree with Duty. I think he's burned a lot of bridges, but I think eventually he gets in. Um, let's switch sports a little bit. Um, interesting question, because, you know, and one of the things that is we're going to get to this topic, uh, you know, eventually tonight is the sports without fans. So we see all these leagues uh, t- talking about, you know, getting back in. <laughs> Let's talk about hockey a little bit. And, you know, Sidney Crosby before the shutdown was still playing at a really, really, really high level. And is having a, a really solid season. Um, you know, a lot of comparisons come up between him and Ovechkin, but I, I think it's hard to compare those two. They're two completely different type of players. But now the question comes down to how do you compare Sid and Mario Lemieux with the Penguins? Now you could count Stanley Cups. You know, Sid has three, Mario has two. Sid's not done. But where where do you rank starting starting with you, Wayne? Uh, uh, actually, I'm going to start with duty. Where would you rank Sidney Crosby as far as Pittsburgh Penguins? Is he a, has he moved ahead of Marriott? Now, look, statistics wise, no, but as far as you know, the the no, player I, he is, has he moved ahead? I don't. Of Mario? I think uh, Mario Lemieux is is the second best hockey player maybe ever behind Gretzky. Um, I think Sid is in the top six of all time, maybe five. You go back to, I don't remember Gordie Howe. I don't remember some of those, some of those Bobby Orr. I don't know. I don't know a lot of those guys. I didn't watch hockey back then. 
Sydney is not comparable to Ovechkin because Sidney Crosby is a complete hockey player. He wins faceoffs. He plays defense. He scores. He doesn't care if he'll pass. He doesn't care. But no, he is not in Mario Lemieux's class. I will argue forever that in our lifetime, the fact that we got to see Gretzky, Lemieux, and Crosby, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. But I do not. I think Mario Lemieux is the second best hockey player of all time. Wayne Wagner. Well, that's a tough comparison. The hockey today versus when Mario played, two totally different games. Absolutely. You can't compare statistics. There's just no way, you, you know, with the goalie equipment and the size of goalies, the whole way the game is played, you can't compare them. I think God-given talent, Mario was a freak for a guy that big and strong and the reach he had. Um, he had that, he had that all over Sidney Crosby. On the other side, Mario was a coach killer. I mean, he didn't get along with any coach. He wouldn't even play for Scotty practice for Scotty Bowman. I think <laughs> Crosby's been a tremendous leader uh, amongst his team. He's been a team player, an organizational player. I don't know if you guys happen to see this, but two or three days ago, he donated 100,000 meals to the Pittsburgh Food Bank. Yep. I mean, he's just a class act. All They both are. I don't even know how you can compare them. It's two different hockey games. <clears throat> the game of hockey's changed so much. Plus, Mario had all the injuries. Um, Cancer. Pure God-given ability, Mario. Um, All-around hockey player. Uh, Sydney's right there. I'd say they're dead even. Scott Startari. I look at it this way. Everything both you, you fine fellas said is, is, is spot on. I look at it this way. Merit, you look at it from a statistical standpoint than an emotional standpoint. What do your eyes tell you? Well, Mario's got 1,723 points. Sidney Crosby's got 1,263 points. So conceivably, conceivably, if he plays four or five more years, there's an outside chance he, he can surpass him statistically. He could do it. However, there is no chance I can take the emotional piece out. There was a commercial on when Mario retired to talk about how many goals he had, how many assists he had, how many cups he won, how many all-stars. And they said, but his most important play, he had one save. And that was saving the organization from going to Seattle. That's right. So there's no, there's no chance to separate the player from the legend. So I think you have to go with Mario as 1A and Sid as 1B. Wayne, well, let me just say, Greg, before you give your Go comment ahead. on that, I yep. want to add one thing. Yep. Who did Sid Crosby, Sidney Crosby live with when he first moved to Pittsburgh? Mario Lemieux. That's right. So Mario Lemieux not only was a hockey player, but he helped shape Sidney Crosby, not only, I'm not saying hockey talent, off the, off the ice interviews, the way you act, the way you, uh, way you become a man. That was all due um, for living with him. Um, right. Don't think that that doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, I, I agree. But I would also say... Go ahead, Wayne. When, when Scott mentions about Mario saving the Penguins, he did. But the saving of them going to Kansas City was because they drafted Sidney Crosby. If they didn't get Sidney Crosby, whatever Mario would have done, I don't think would have been enough to save the Penguins. You can't separate the two. They're like Siamese twins in my my view. They're just and you know, statistics, different game. But um, I mean, how lucky are we to have not only two phenomenal players, but two phenomenal human beings represent this city? I, I agree. I just uh, before I go to you, Scott, I, I'm gonna, I just want to pitch in here. So I I've never met Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, I see a lot about him and what he's done. And Scott, I did see the story on a hundred thousand meals of the food bank and the things that he does. I, you know, I, I love the videos of when the players deliver the season tickets to the people's homes and Sidney Crosby's delivering season tickets to somebody's home. Sidney Crosby doesn't have to do that. Okay. He could tell the organization, you know what? Let some of the other guys do that. But he does it. He he hands out pizzas to the students standing out in line to get the student tickets. You know, he he does the little things that 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 the fans absolutely love. But I want to 
tell you a personal story about Mario Lemieux. When I was at Pitt in, in my undergrad, I had an opportunity to do a, a sports writing and sports broadcasting internship at WPXI in their sports, sports department. So I got to work with John Fedko. Enough said. I'm not going to make any comment on that. Um, Derek Gunn, Sam Nover, uh, all, a lot of great people in the sports department. They used to send me out. I wasn't on the air. I was an intern. So I'd go get audio. Coffee? I'd, yeah, yeah, coffee or, or like I would. they would send me out to regular season games to record, you know, to go into the locker room and record audio, you know. And so I'd go to pirate games. And, yes, Barry Bonds and Andy Van Slyke were assholes. I'll just clear that up right now. I can tell you right now, both of them. Uh, but to hockey – the hockey players were the most genuine people I dealt with, except for Tom Barrasso. Like Tom Barrasso, he was an ass. I, I just, I'll tell you. But every other player, here's this lowly intern, like coming in. I'm only five foot six. Every other reporter is much taller than me, and I'm trying to stick my microphone in there and get some audio. So I'm in the Penguins locker room, and this was during their early Stanley Cup years. And, I'm, and, you know, there's a lot more reporters there. So I go in. I get some audio from, from some other guys. I think Phil Bork was one of the guys. And I got some audio from. Um, but then, you know, they, the, the, the public relations guy comes in and says, okay, everybody, that's enough. Like, everybody out. I had tried to get to Mario, but there's 400 people around him. Okay? So I'm walking out. And I hear this voice say, hey, who are you? And I turn around and it's Mario. And I said, well, I'm Greg Wallace. I'm, I'm the intern with WPXI. You know, I, I just, I'm here to get audio. He says, you know what? He goes, I saw you trying to get in and you couldn't. Come on over here and you're cameraman and I'll give you, I'll give you a few minutes. I got, the, I got like five minutes of question time with Mario Lemieux. I came back to the studio my, my department director is like, how in the F did you get five minutes with Mario Lemieux? I'm like, he told me I could stay and talk to him. Like, what other superstar does that? Like, you know, so I got a special place in my heart for Mario Lemieux, you know, because he was that kind of guy and that kind of athlete. And I, I, I have to agree, like, Sid's got some years left, and he may surpass Mario but as far as the overall person, I, I, my personal experience, you know, tells me Mario is still at this point, uh, you know, a little bit better than Sid. Scott, you wanted to, you wanted to chime in. Yeah, that's a great story. I 100% agree with you, Greg. When we walk into, imagine walking into uh, console or, you know, uh, the hockey arena, right? PBG console, whatever. When you have that whole wing of all those high school hockey jerseys that are up, that's Mario Lemieux, man. People didn't play hockey around here until 1984-85. They didn't. When they drafted him, that, they played a little bit, club sports, stuff like that. That whole area is because of the influence that man had on the region. So he was special enough to have influence on a young 23-year-old reporter. He also had greater influence on the whole region. Um, just by his presence. So, right. Great story, Greg. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so real quick around the horn, yes or no answer. If Mario Lemieux never got hurt, never got sick, is he considered better than Gretzky? Duty. No. Wayne. Uh, caveat, yes, but not by the Canadian. <laughs> Scott Scartari. <laughs> No, he does. I love to say yes, he doesn't. Okay, great, great topic. I love it. Now let's. Hey, let me introduce. I'm going to tell you a 30 second story. It has nothing to do with them, but you will know who I'm talking about. Let's hear it. A former uh, female acquaintance of mine that you all know and I were having dinner in Aspenwall, and it was around the Kentucky Derby Derby time, and we were slapping my butt with my hand, rooting my horse down this back stretch at this restaurant in Aspenwall. And when he won, I jumped up, turned around, and I spilled an entire drink on one Mr. Craig Patrick. 
standing next to me. So I didn't know who he was from Adam, but he was there along with one of his uh, friends and former players, Mark Recchi, and they both had their wives there. By the end of the night, we were best friends, um, and he ended up inviting us up to his house on several occasions for drinks, and uh, what a wonderful, wonderful man. Just I had to that's tell you, I spilled my drink on Craig Patton. That's a great start. Wayne, you know what? We're going we're gonna to do a call an audible here. Wayne Wagner, we need to yeah. hear your Penguin Stanley Cup champion party story from the early oh. 90s. This is, ladies oh, and gentlemen, this is, this is a fantastic story. So, Wayne, tell us a story about you partying with the Stanley Cup champions into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> yeah, for, first cup year, they were still practicing at the Mount Lebanon Ice Rink. And um, a good friend of mine was turning 40, to give you an idea how long ago this was. So, he and I and a doctor, uh, that I called on who happened to be his brother-in-law. We're meeting at the saloon in Mount Lebanon to go out drinking <laughs> the different bars in Pittsburgh. So we left our cars there. We, we had a drink at the saloon and Jimmy Pack comes walking in. Um, they had been out golfing after they won the cup a day or two earlier. He sat down next to me and asked me who was winning the baseball game. I recognized them. We got up and left. Hours later, we come back to get our cars. We go back into the saloon, and all the penguins are there. They all met after the golf outing. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, Jim Shepard, the owner of the saloon, locked the door to the saloon and let everybody who was there stay. So we all stayed with the penguins. The only two that weren't there were Barrasso, surprise, surprise, and Mario, um, for reasons too, he didn't make a lot of public appearances. But we partied with them all night long. We tried to buy them drinks, and I'll never forget Kevin Stevens say, "No, we're the ones buying the drinks tonight." So they couldn't have been nicer to Greg's point. You know how hockey players are. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a young lady I was working with at the time was a big uh, fan of um, uh, uh, Troy Loney. So I got her Troy Loney's autograph. This was before cell phones. My wife didn't know where I was. I came in at five in the morning. <laughs> she wants to know where the hell I've been. She's worried sick. I'm drunk. I tell her the story. I'm all happy. And I got Gina Troy Loney's autograph. She goes, whose autograph did you get from me? And I said, I didn't. I didn't know that you would want one. So totally hung over. The next day, I go down. I forget where it was. I think somewhere in Market Square, Kevin Stevens is signing autographs. I'm hungover as shit. Standing in line to get my wife Kevin Stevens' autograph because I didn't get it the night before when I was drinking with him all night long. <laughs> I get up there. He looks at me and he goes, holy hell. I can't believe you're here. He said, I had to be. <laughs> he said, how the hell did you make it? <laughs> I said, well, I didn't get my wife any autographs last night, Kevin, and here I am. <laughs> but they couldn't have been nicer. To your point, Diddy, with Craig, they couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. There's something about hockey. hockey Don't think that would have happened with Barry Bonds and Andy Van Slyke. No. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, that's a great story. I, I, I love that. Uh, let's... Let's uh, let's get into a topic here, you know, kind of like current events. And um, we're not going to talk Korean League baseball as duty really, really wanted to tonight. Uh, but we are going to mm. talk about the possibility of sports without fans. I can tell you that one hung low was three for four with the dinger. The <laughs> <laughs> so we we uh, we're going to it looks like we're going to have, you know, sports without fans. Uh, Major League Baseball, the NBA is talking about it. The NHL is talking about it. Um, Duty, I'm going to start with you. Um, like, how is this going to work out? And, I mean, I, I'm imagining the TV ratings will be off the charts. Am I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I don't know if you guys saw the Miami Dolphins plan or the Miami, one of the Miami things said they're going to let in about 15,000 fans that sit in the 40,000 seat stadium. So you set people three or four seats apart, 
um, every other row if you have to, or you just play without fans, and nobody cares. Um, we're all going to watch it on TV. Hell, half the people that they're in Pittsburgh, other than Scott and Wayne, they sit at home and watch the game anyway instead of going. So I think it's great. It'll give us something, and I honestly think the country needs sports right now to come back. Um, look at the ratings for the NFL draft. They were the highest one ever, and it wasn't because of the Edith Dick Goodell. It was because we were starving for sports. I think it's very doable. I think the hardest part will be for the, the players to be sequestered away from their families. And, you know, when you go on a road trip for two weeks, you still get to come home and sleep in your own bed and see your family. Now these guys might be sequestered or in a city or somewhere where they're there for the rest of the season. I, I don't care how it happens. I'm all for it. Um, I don't care if LeBron James says – I'm not playing if there's no fans. Well, bullshit. Yes, you will, because you got a chance to win the championship. Um, I think it's I think it's fine. And I have no problem with it. I think this coronavirus is way, way, way overrated. Um, but having said that, I think you still got to be careful with people's health. There are people dying. So I they'll do it and I'm all for it. Scott. I think it can be done, and I think they'll do it. But I think, Greg, you made an interesting point, um, TV ratings and things like that. So the NFL, each team with their TV contract, it's $1 billion before they play one down, okay? It's about 12% of the overall revenue that a team gets. Hockey, on the other hand, relies on those fans. It's 50% of the earnings of a National Hockey League team are fans. So logistically and financially, it's a completely different thing. But I still think that they'll do it. I have a couple of suggestions. I've got a friend of mine that's in the hockey business with the Penguins, and I said, go pay-per-view. If you did the NHL playoffs and just did strictly pay-per-view, people would pay whatever amount of money you want to pay to watch those games on TV. Now, having said that, as far as baseball is concerned, I'm a, a baseball fan at heart. I hope it just goes away. I think Major League Baseball is broken. That's a completely different question. I understand that. It doesn't work in baseball. It could work in hockey, and it definitely works in the NFL with the $1 billion per team uh, contract. Wayne. Um, gate revenues become secondary in, to professional sports. They're looking at TV revenue and it's supply and demand, people will have such a thirst to watch sports, they can raise the rates of advertising on sports mm-hmm. because people will, you know, watch these sports to do these points. The ratings on the draft were through the roof. And the biggest thing that you guys forgot about, it's all about gambling. It's all about <laughs> fantasy leagues. Yeah. It's about gambling. And that's why they're going to find a way to play the game. And they can protect the athlete's health to a large degree. It's the people and the fans coughing, stands coughing on each other and the liability that they're really worried about. They can test these players daily. They can check their temperatures, all that sort of thing. Um, But it's about gambling and about TV revenue. They got to play just to get the gambling going again. Well, do you guys remember back in the day, there was a broadcaster strike, and I believe it was the Jets and the Dolphins played a football game with no broadcasters. It was horrible. I remember that. Remember that? Yeah. All right. So mm-hmm. the way I see it, the broadcasters today, in a lot of cases, annoy the shit out of me. And I'll actually turn the volume off and watch a game with no volume. You know, just because I just want to watch the game. So whether there's fans in the crowd or not, that that doesn't bother me. I, I, I want to watch the game, and I will watch. Whether it's hockey, basketball, um, football, you name it, and, and baseball, I won't go to a game as long as Bob Nutting is the owner of the Pirates, but I, I will I will watch baseball on TV. It's not, you know, it's not my highest-ranked sport, but I'll still watch it. Um, you know, I think that I agree with, I agree with duty. The, the country needs sports and if they can find a way to safely do it, um, I, I know people would watch and the ratings will be through the roof. If, if, if the NHL 
is the one to start first. It'll be the highest ratings that hockey ever had. You'll have a ton of new people watching hockey. Now, we've all talked before. I know we've all talked on the phone. Hockey is a much better sport watched live than it is watched on TV. That's probably one of the main reasons why uh, hockey revenue from gate sales is so much of a larger percentage than, than, uh, than other sports that people will watch. And whether there's fans there or not, well, guess what? The cameramen aren't going to be able to pan the crowd during a timeout and find the pretty girl. Okay. Oh, well, you know, they're going to have to focus on some other things. So Scott, did you, did you have something you wanted to say? No, I think it's spot on. I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if uh, Bob Nutting listens to Basement Sports, but I hope he does because Bob, (laughs) if you're listening, if you're listening, Bob, we don't want you here. Okay. Because you've been holding Western Pennsylvania hostage since you took this team. You have, we want the pirates because we're deeply attached to them. We don't want you because you're, you're not an owner who wants to win a championship. And that's not the way this city was built. So let's Hey Greg. Yeah, go ahead, Wayne. Two, two points. Two points. Number one to Scott's question. This is free, correct? Yeah, this is free. Listening to this is free. Yeah. Chances are he might he may he might listen then. This is free as I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But here here's the other thing. Sports without fans, what's that gonna do to home field advantages? What's that gonna do to the gambling lines when you go on the road birth, you know, when Penn State, for example, plays Ohio State at home. How does that change the spread from if it's at Ohio State? And what's it going to be like on neutral grounds with no fans? What's that going to do? I, that's going to be enormous. I think that not having so, fans. So I'll just say that I, think, that I think that actually, Duty knows this. I got into a significant Twitter fight with this guy on Twitter who calls himself Penn State Unrivaled. And he's a lot of fun to get into arguments with because you'd love him, Wayne. When, when Penn State's losing, fire James Franklin. This team sucks. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then when Penn State's winning, <laughs> he's just like, everybody else sucks but Penn State. So I, I, I kind of like, like debating this guy a little bit. But we had a debate about, about home field advantage. And it depends on the sport. You can't say that like in the NHL, home ice advantage has meant a lot over the last number of years. It doesn't. Like the Penguins have won all of their Stanley Cups on the road. All of them. Right. All right. I I think pro football is, depending on where they're playing, it can have a little bit of a difference. College football much more. Okay. College football much more so. I think it depends on the sport, and I agree with you. If there's no fans in college football, I'd love to see how that changes the betting lines, really, and how that changes the outcomes. Because I, I think that, that, you know, the argument that I made on Twitter was if Clemson's playing like Idaho, Clemson's going to beat Idaho by four touchdowns and not seven. Okay? Maybe. They're still going to beat Idaho. But if the spread is 35, Idaho's going to cover because it's going to be, they're only going to lose by 28. All right. Well, look, college sports is the is the definite area where home field advantage actually matters. You try to yep. play in the big house. You try to go up to Beaver Stadium with 100,000 people chanting and you can't hear the snap count. Uh, in several other stadiums, Notre Dame's tough to play at. And then the, the SEC schools, it's not so big of a deal in the pros. They're professional athletes. It may take them a couple minutes or a shift or two in hockey, and then they're just playing the game. College sports are going to be a huge, huge difference. And whether you're talking gambling or just outcomes of games, there are several college football games every weekend that are won by the home team because they're at home. That's the only reason. Yep. Yep. Um, and it's going to make a big difference. Scott. Well, you know what else oh. it's going to do? It's going to really put a premium on the teams that are most, <laughs> most disciplined and focused right. because they can't rely on that crowd to get them excited and to motivate them. 
you're going to have to have the kids that are self-motivated and the coaching staff that can motivate those kids absent the fans are going to have an advantage. It's going to be a whole different world. It really is. Go ahead, Scott. No, I, I, it was so well said what these gentlemen said. And it's why I felt, you know, honored to be on this call with, with everybody in particular Wayne, because of his insight into it, it is a gambling league now. Okay. It's, it's a fantasy league with DraftKings and FanDuel and all those types of things. Uh, it's completely different now that will change that somewhat. Um, Outcomes of games, maybe, maybe not. Point spreads, no question about it. Yeah, it'll change it. Okay. We're, we're coming up on an hour, but there's one last really, really important topic that we need to talk about. We left some stuff on the table. I'd love to do this again next week. I don't know about you guys, but I'd love to put another list together because this was a, a shit ton of fun. But the hottest Catwoman in, in Batman history. Now, now <laughs> let, let's just say a little bit. Scott Startari is a Batman fanatic. Like he is like, you want to know anything about Batman? It's you just go to Scott. I've had the honor of being at Scott's house. He has some brilliant Batman artwork in his home. And, you know, so he, he threw this out there. He can't cook or the shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's, Let's let's just go around the horn to wrap this up, starting with duty of all the of all the cat women that have played the role over the years going way back. Who is the hottest cat woman of all time? I like the chick that was on the old Batman and Robin TV show where they put up bam, wow, kapow when Ju- they came on. Julie Newmar? Scott knows her name, but I do not. Is that Julie Newmar? Yeah. Okay, that'd be Julie Newmar. Okay, going old school. But then again, let me just say, you put any chick in a one-piece tight leather outfit, <laughs> you'd have to be I pretty disagree. bad. I Yeah. Any <laughs> chick? Any chick, duty? Anyone that could fit into those <laughs> leather outfits. So, Wayne White? Any chick, no. <laughs> <laughs> So Wayne Wagner, your hottest Catwoman of all time, <laughs> Halle Berry. Okay, that, that that was my second. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna before I go to Scott because I want Scott to go last. He's the expert. So, so I I'm gonna I'm gonna say Michelle Pfeiffer because I've always been a Michelle Pfeiffer fan. I, she's super hot. Um, I, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Although Julie Newmar. A very, very close second. So, Scott, take it away. Well, you know, first of all, duty. I have to, I have to make this statement that there were actually three Catwomans back in the 1960s TV version show. with with Burt TV show with Burt Ward and Adam West and Alan Napier. There were there were three: Julie Newmar, Eartha Kitt, and Lee Merriweather. And the way I rank those is Julie Newmar. One, Eartha Kitt. Two, Lee Merriweather, who was Miss America, by the way. Three. Now, the only one that will give them a run for their money, in my opinion, with this modern-day Batman saga, is Anne Hathaway, who was in the last one with Bane. i got to go there. So it's Julie Newmar one because we're old-school folks, and it's it's Anne Hathaway two. All right, i got to throw this out to Scott real quick because I forget. (laughs) In that... TV show. Do you remember they introduced the redhead Batgirl? Yvonne Craig. She was Commissioner Gordon's daughter yep. on the show. Yep. But her she name was in real hot. life was... Yes, she was. She was hot. Yes, she was. <laughs> well, hey, yeah. I can't think of a better way to wrap up this Basement Sports Podcast, but I'm going to throw it out here, guys. We've got some topics that we left on the table that we need to talk about. I, I, I'd like to next time talk about, let, let's get into some college football because it, it's leaning more towards like it's going to happen, whether it's with fans or without fans. We got some, we got some pit people on here. We got some Penn state people on here uh, to talk a little bit uh, pit uh, Penn state football predictions going into, going into this year. Um, can we let, let's try to do this again next week. We'll get the whole, uh, round table on board and we'll we'll talk some more things and start it off with um, 
Pitt and Penn State football. How does that sound, everybody? We need some recruiting. We need to do some recruiting Sounds stuff. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. We'll do some recruiting things. Uh, let's let's uh, dig into our uh, in, into our information for recruiting for both Pitt and Penn State. Wayne knows it off the top of his head. I don't even have to like ask him to 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 look it up. Like he can rattle off all of like Penn State's recruits for 2021 already. So I, I, I it, that that's a no brainer. Like I think Scott and I we've got to we've got to do some some homework and and do some digging. I also want to talk about like uh, Pat Narduzzi caused some controversy on Twitter. It seemed like he called out a kid who who went to Syracuse instead of Pitt. A little bit. Um, he caught some shit for that on Twitter. And did he try to yeah. kick a field goal on fourth and one no, at the one? No, he didn't try to kick a field goal on fourth and one at the one. Thank you, Duty, for reminding me of that. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's very kind of you. So, <clears throat> anyway, guys, I had a blast, and as you said, so well, like, Duty and I realize an hour goes by in no time doing this podcast. But uh, any any last thoughts? I'll start Wayne Wagner. Any last thoughts going out today? Thank you, Greg. You did a great job monitoring this with uh, with the four of us on there. So um, thanks to you. And this was a blast. I agree. All right, Scott. Hey, listen, I, I've listened to the podcast, uh, but to actually have you ask me to be on here is an honor and a privilege. And anytime you would like uh, me to be on, I mean, I'm there. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, duty. Any last yeah, thoughts? I, obviously, I think you all suck. And uh <laughs> I don't think any of you know your ass from your hole in the ground, so I just might as well do one by myself next week. But if you guys want to come on, that's fine with me. And there we have it. <laughs> well, hey, guys, I can't thank you enough. It was, it was a lot of fun. Everybody, remember to check us out. We, uh, you know, check out our Twitter page, our Facebook page. You can hear the podcast on Spotify, on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Uh, Facebook, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, go on, uh, send us an email, basement sports podcast at gmail.com. That's basement sports podcast at gmail.com. Please give us a like, please tell your friends. And until next time, we'll see you. Thanks everyone.